The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I am very glad that you are listening, and thank you so much for participating. Thanks for going on our Spirit of Recovery Facebook page and liking Spirit of Recovery, and thanks for posting on our wall and for participating. It's a big deal, so we appreciate it. It's great to know you're out there and to know that what we're doing here on Spirit of Recovery is touching your heart, opening your mind, and making a difference for you in your life, in your recovery, and in your spirituality. So I want to also thank you for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community and your Unity community know about us here on unityonlineradio.org. And um, thank you so much because our listening audience is growing, and that's very exciting. And um, it's great to be getting the word out here about uh the spirit of recovery, and uh, knowing what's happening for people in their lives. So thank you for letting me know that, and thank you for your emails and telling me what's going on in your world. Every week we do talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down-to-earth, knowledgeable, and innovative. My guests are always people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people, and they're always bringing practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can, of course, listen via your computer. You can listen via your smart device. You can 
go to Stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. And also, UnityOnlineRadio.org now has a new method. You can listen to your favorite Unity Online Radio programs through any Alexa, and that's A-L-E-X-A, Alexa-enabled device such as Amazon Echo. And Alexa is a hands-free voice-controlled app from Amazon that allows users to play music, get questions answered, receive weather updates, create lists, and much more. So to listen to Unity Online Radio on an Alexa-enabled device, simply ask Alexa to play Unity Online Radio on Excuse me, Unity Online Radio on TuneIn. So there's an additional um, avenue for you to listen to Spirit of Recovery. Also, of course, we have archives. We've got several years worth of wonderful archives, great guests, great topics. Go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery and take your pick. Lots of great information there. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place so that if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, you're welcome. If you're a person who has a family member or friend that's got the disease of addiction and you're curious and want to learn more about recovery, you're welcome. If you're a person that's a family member or friend of someone that has the disease of addiction and you are in your own recovery as a family member or friend because family members and friends have recovery programs as well. So if that's your situation, you're welcome. We're glad you're here. We talk a lot of times about family topics, about friendship topics, about things that would are related for anybody um, that's uh, in their own recovery and whatever that looks like, wherever they're coming from. Also, maybe you're just a person that's curious about the process of recovery and or uh, what addiction is about. We're glad you're here, whoever you are. You're welcome. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're listening, and you are welcome to call in or um, email in a question or comment for my guest on our topic for the day. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I am a Unity Minister and an Addictions Counselor. I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction. And 35 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And ever since then, my walk has been an integration of unity principles and recovery principles. And that keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing in deeper ways. So I'm delighted. I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you and to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and your recovery walk. Before I get to um, talking about my topic and my guest for the day, uh, I want to acknowledge this. Uh, the date today is June the 14th of 2016, and uh, I think many of us are aware that there was a tragedy that happened in Orlando, Florida a couple of days ago, and I want to just acknowledge our all of our friends, all of our listeners um, in the LGBTQ community and know that we're with you, our thoughts and prayers are with you, and that my goal in Spirit of Recovery, as I know in all of Unity and people in recovery in lots of ways, our goal is to keep developing a, a spiritual consciousness and uh, transforming ourselves and influencing our world so that those kind of things don't happen anymore. So our, our hearts are going out, our prayers are with you, and we're seeing healing and wholeness and well-being and um, for everyone that has been affected by this tragedy. 
So with that, I want to bring our focus now to our topic of the day and our guest. Our topic today is successful or stressful. A fresh look at success. And, you know, being in recovery opens us up to a new understanding of what success is. And uh, what we start to realize is that when we compare ourselves to other people um, in an effort to strive to meet unrealistic outer demands and, and call that success, it can really rob us of peace of mind, rob us of self-worth, and it can't even derail uh, our recovery. So my guest today is Chris Shea, and Chris um, has a, a Master of Arts. He's a certified addictions counselor. He's a campus minister, a life coach. He's a nationally recognized speaker and author, and um, I'll tell you a little bit more about him in a moment. But he's a, an incredible blogger. His blogger is Life's Journey Blog, and that's Life's Journey, just the way it sounds, no apostrophe, lifesjourneyblog.com. And he, uh, he's been my guest before here on Spirit of Recovery back in 2014. He was my guest um, and talking about the... Um, the spirituality of connection, and I love reading his blogs. So they're always very thoughtful. And um, this one uh, really stood out to me that I saw, I guess, uh, uh, several weeks ago. And it is about success and about uh, what can happen for us—the good things that can happen when we shift our outer definition of success to a definition uh, of success that's defined by our own values. And uh, Chris certainly lives this in his own life. He is currently the campus minister of a Catholic high school in Maryland. He's an adjunct professor in the Family Studies and Community Development Department of the School of Liberal Arts at Towson University. And during his over 20-year tenure in the addiction counseling field as a clinician and administrator, he has overseen the implementation of treatment program modalities and integrated evidence-based treatment treatments into those programs that treatments that will promote and support lifelong recovery he um, in addition to his clinical experience uh, he has also had a an almost decades long a decade long pastoral ministry as a hospital chaplain in washington dc and as a retreat leader in the new england region and he also uh, serves in many leadership capacities in uh, the saint mary's County Alcohol Coalition, and in uh, NADAC, which is the National Association of Alcoholism and Drug Abuse Counselors. Um, he has served on their board of directors and also has served on the board of directors. He was the immediate past chairman of the board of directors of the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence of Maryland. So he's certainly well qualified, and again, in addition to his professional credentials he really lives these values so chris welcome back to spirit of recovery well thank you for having me and uh thank you for those wonderful words i uh i appreciate it but it's you know come with uh working closely with a lot of wonderful people and you know i've, I've learned a lot through my years and i do say very honestly that i have learned the most uh from the clients that i work with and what they have learned in their own lives of struggle and recovery and you know how they've uh reshaped themselves and you know reshaped their lives so it's always an inspiration Great. Yeah, thank you. And thank you. That's, I think, what makes an effective counselor is is that willingness to learn from the people that you're working with and, and to really hear and, and receive, you know, what they're saying and, 
in deep ways and let that touch your own heart and your own learning. So thanks for, for being that way. Appreciate it. So, Chris, what got you thinking about this idea of success? I've been thinking of this idea for quite some time. It uh, actually, and it probably doesn't show if you know for people who go and uh, you know read the blog post. It's not long at all, but it actually took me about a year to write it. And for me, putting a lot of thought and effort into this one in particular. Because I, I tend to see it not only in my own life, but I, I tend to see where I believe that our society is going maybe in the wrong direction. You know, that people today are trying to be successful, but it appears to me that many people, and I'll include myself in that for you know a good amount of time, looking at success as the... Uh, titles that I have or the positions that I have or the amount of money that I have, um, you know, how many followers on social media do I have? And, and and I really think that part of this angst in our society where we see a lot of people searching, you know, for a deeper meaning and searching for, you know, some sort of spiritual connection, I think a lot of it is due to their focus uh, on, you know, what they feel success is. And the more that they search for that, uh, the less they're finding an inner peace. And as I say, for me, that's, uh, you know, part of it uh, that happened on, on my end. So I think the more I reflect on it is find out if, if we maybe change our perspective on how we define and perceive what success is, we might actual, actually come to a realization of a, a deeper spiritual sense and an inner peace amongst us. Mm-hmm. Was there anything or not in particular that happened in your life or something that you saw in the culture or, or an individual's life that really sort of was the thing that was the, the flash that got really got your attention focused on this? To actually write this, there really wasn't a specific flash, so to speak. But for me personally, it's been the journey of me finding more of living in the moment, uh, of working more in the realm of mindfulness. The more that I've reflected on that and worked with clients on meditation and living in the moment and changing our perspectives the more that began to resonate with me so that I began to notice if I change perspective and if I stay in the moment, things that seemed to matter didn't matter anymore. And for me, changing jobs, although it's been surprisingly about five years now, into doing the high school ministry uh, getting out of the administrative and corporate uh, type world into daily working with teenagers and, and helping them uh, not only cope with life but find their spiritual sense and their relationship with a God, that I began to realize all that other stuff 
really doesn't matter much because it really doesn't matter to the kids. <laughs> and I, I think that was one of the, the big changes because when I was, you know, in the clinical field or when I was the administrator of treatment programs, it was always about what degrees you had, where you came from, uh, and everybody always wanted to see the alphabet after your name and, you know, all these things. And, and that really gave you that credibility. But, you know, working with the kids, all they want to see in the credibility is that are you living what you're preaching? Mm-hmm. You know, do they see you as being truly uh, genuine to them? And if they can pick up that genuineness, that's that's the credential. That that's all they're looking for. And the kids don't care about where you were CEO or, or who you hobnobbed with or what you did. That is meaningless. And the, and the more I began to reflect on it, I started to think, you know, they're on to something. Because in the end, it is kind of meaningless. I mean, it's not meaningless doing the work that you're doing, but to rely on that as a definition of saying, I've arrived, how it kind of seems meaningless now. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, I, I will admit, there's a disconnect between somebody's outer credentials and what's happening in their lives. I mean, again, it's certainly the outer credentials can be a, an important thing. I mean, in the sense of you want to be sure people are qualified to do the work that they're doing. I mean, there's this, that factor of competence. There's the factor of being accountable to, you know, your clients and so forth that, you know, oh, you know, definitely. that you know what you're doing. And at the same time, that's not the whole thing. There can be, you know, people can have a lot of training and a lot of credentials, but they're not able to really be present with clients or students or whoever. I don't know. What do you think about that? Oh, I, I completely agree. You know, the especially now in doing private practice, it, it is important that the people who are coming to see me know that I'm qualified to do what I say I'm doing. And it is humbling for me to know that they're putting their trust and their future, so to speak, in my hands. There has to be that level of competency. Mm-hmm. But what seems to matter in life in the bigger picture really isn't what a lot of people strive for. It, it really isn't saying you know, look at me, I've arrived because I've been, you know, running these treatment programs and working with these people and knowing this person. And that that shows what I'm doing. But does that mean that I've arrived? And I, I know for myself, there wasn't always those times of inner peace. There wasn't always the times of a deeper spiritual sense while I was doing that work, and, and that doesn't diminish the work. But what I'm trying to ask people to do is change your focus so that even if you're working in those high-level positions and you're making lots of money and, and life is good and you can say, I'm a success, that's wonderful, and I'm happy for you, and, and I hope that you continue to do those good works, and yes, you are a success. But is that your focus? Mm-hmm. And that's where I think we need to change that. You know, so like 
when I look at, you know, when the students don't care where I've come from, they just want to see that I'm genuine. And even my clients, I just want to know, do I have the degrees and certifications to do what I'm doing? But they don't necessarily care where I've been doing it or if I'm published or any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think if we continue to strive to do our best, but what is our real focus? What, What is our definition of success, which for me is very different than what most of society tells us that definition is. Mm -hmm. So tell us some more about that, about how you're defining it now. And I know that you um, have read or do read John Kabat-Zinn, who is a a person that really promotes mindfulness in, in his writings and in the work that he does. And I'm, I'm guessing that that's a part of part of your definition, or derives from what he's some of the things he's saying and how you practice those ideas. Oh, most definitely. Um, and I would really encourage people to read what they can uh, on him. And uh, in my mind, a, a very wise uh, individual. And the the main core that I've pulled from. What I've read on him is two points. The one, living in the moment, being present in the moment versus looking out into the past and whether it's been a good past or a not-so-pleasant past or focusing on stressors of the future really the focus being how do I look at this moment? How do I live in this moment and be present to it? And the other concept that I really like is the notion of living in the moment non-judgmentally so that we can appreciate the moment that we're living in without putting a judgment to it. The minute we put a judgment to it, what we're doing is putting ourselves into that moment instead of letting the moment enrich us and teach us. So even in the, in the most negative of moments, if I can just remain present and not judge what it is and, and just take in what's happening, I can better react to that moment and better learn from that moment without me trying to interject my own stuff into what's happening around me. Mm-hmm. So I think when we look at success and, and how do we define success, that's where I, I've come to a, a deeper understanding that success would be defined more so according to my inner values rather than on the objectivity of how our society judges success. You know, so. Society would say that successful people have high positions, surround themselves with certain types of people. You would have a certain dollar figure that you're bringing in, and you have reached success. And if you are the person who works the mailroom of that company, of that CEO, you're not successful because you're not that CEO with those dollar figures and and all that. Mm -hmm. 
that's generalizing how society would look, but uh, I think in a lot of ways, that's then how we internalize that. So if I'm working in a position less than that CEO, my view of myself is that I am below somebody else. What I'm learning and, and asking people to do is to change that perspective and to say, if I look at my position in a certain company or whatever I do in my life, and if I look at where I am non-judgmentally and just take in what's happening, can I come to an understanding that am I doing the utmost best and putting in a hundred plus percent to be the best mailroom clerk there is or whatever my position is? Am I striving to be the best at that because that's my value that I'm not going to accept anything less than a hundred plus percent of my effort in whatever it is I'm tasked to do. And in my mind, if you're doing that, you are successful because your goal is to be the best at whatever it is that you're doing. Your goal is to meet your values. If you're doing that, in my mind, are you not? So if we change our perspective and, and we don't judge it on society's hierarchical objectivity of success, but look at it more in the subjective sense, then I can say, if, if those criteria are true, I am successful each day that I do what it is that I do. Hopefully, you know, that notion gives us a, a chance to understand then that I can have happiness out of this. I can have some inner peace out of this. And that happiness lets me know I'm successful. Not the material things that I'm getting out of what I'm doing. But am I truly happy? Am I challenged? Am I making a difference? Then I think we have that better understanding that, yes, I am a success in what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know what you're saying, Chris, really, um, to me, sounds so much like the message of recovery that, you know, one day at a time, um, mm-hmm. being present to yourself, learning about who you are inside. I don't know. Do you, how do you see this? Do you think that this, you're, what you're talking about, this perspective on success is a good support for a person in their recovery process and how would it help them? Oh, most definitely. See, one of the things that I'm, really noticing now that the whole field of mindfulness is becoming mainstream and uh, you, you have a lot of people talking about it and it's not really a fad and the reason I would say it's not a fad and maybe calling it mindfulness might be the fad of it but the practice of, of what mindfulness teaches um really has been around for thousands of years. And when I first, it was about 22, 23 years ago, when I first got into working in the field of addictions, the way that I was taught really is about mindfulness. It's really about staying in the present moment. 
because a lot of what I was taught was to help the, the client, the person suffering from the addiction, to live one day at a time. And that could mean one hour at a time, a minute at a time. That right there was mindfulness. We weren't calling it mindfulness. And, and a lot of what I was doing in, in much of those uh, 20-some years was mindfulness without calling it that. I, I can still remember this one uh, client that I had. Um, I was working in Baltimore City at the time, and uh, this had have been somewhere in the 1990s, but she wanted to leave treatment uh, against our wishes. It was an inpatient treatment program, and part of what it was was she was having these intense cravings and really didn't know how to handle those intense cravings. And I remember taking off my watch and, and giving it to her, and it, it was a analog watch. I had the second hand, and, and what I said to her was, just sit outside my office and look at that watch, and every time that second hand goes to the 12, just say to yourself, I'm still sober, and just keep doing that. I was amazed. She actually sat out there for over two hours. Jeez. And all she did after those two hours was walked into my office, put the watch down, and walked off to the next group session. Mm -hmm. Didn't have to say a word, didn't have to do anything. But she actually sat in the moment for over two hours, just reminding herself over and over, I'm still sober at this minute, I'm still sober at this minute. So... I think when we look at, you know, what is success and when we look at success and recovery, and, and that is something, you know, that if we have time, you know, I'd like to take a look at because in my mind, if we look at what I'm saying in, in my new learning of success, she was very successful that day. Mm -hmm. And others might look at that and say, yeah, but she almost walked away, and had she not done that, she would have left treatment and used, and she had these cravings, didn't know what to do. But see, that's not how I'm focusing on it. What I'm focusing on is, but she lived in the moment, and she let the moment guide her where she needed to go, and she didn't leave. So it doesn't matter what helped her to do what she needed to do. She chose to stay. To me, that's a success. Mm -hmm. She was very successful that day. So it really is, in, in my mind, you know, how we just refocus this and, and what we do in, in shifting our views and very much, uh, to me, goes with the one day at a time. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Chris. It's time for our break. And uh, my guest is Chris Shea. He is sharing with us about the topic of successful or stressful. I take taking a fresh look at success. You can learn more about Chris's work if you go to his uh, blog. It's lifesjourneyblog.com. And also on there you can find how to access his podcasts. So stay with us. We'll be right back on Spirit of Recovery. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. 
Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. Weather forecasters can provide guesstimates based on scientific data, but in the end, we cannot know with absolute certainty what the weather will be until we live it. Life works the same way. We may think we know what's going to happen, expecting the best while preparing for the worst. We can keep a positive frame of mind and weather any storm because we are one with the ever-present miracle-working power of God. We are mightier than any circumstance on this earth because we are divine in nature and a part of the eternal. We live in a world where we can realize our possibilities because we know that with God all things are possible. And the way to keep our hearts and minds centered and focused on divine potentialities is through prayer. As author Frances W. Folks wrote in her book, Effectual Prayer, If the time of achievement seems long, pray. If the way seems dark, pray. If the results seem delayed, pray. Morning, noon, and night, pray. Pray without ceasing. This Mindful Moment is brought to you by Daily Word magazine. For more than 90 years, Daily Word has helped people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. Take advantage of our 30-day free trial of the digital edition. You'll receive access to the online magazine, a daily email with the Word for the Day, and the Daily Word app. To sign up for the 30-day free trial, visit unityonlineradio.org slash dailyword. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thanks for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. And if you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus and I'm your host. And our topic today is successful or stressful. A fresh look at success 
And my guest is Chris Shea. Chris is an addictions counselor, a campus minister, a life coach, a nationally recognized speaker and author, and uh, a blogger. And he is sharing with us today what happens in a very wonderful way when we shift our definition of success from those at outer striving and uh, trying to, you know, keep up with other people, so to speak, and, and shift that into an understanding about living by our own values and our own deeper sense of self and spirituality. And um, you can learn more about Chris and his work, and you can read his wonderful blogs at lifesjourneyblog.com. And that's just the way it's spelled, just the way it sounds. There's no apostrophe, lifesjourneyblog.com. And also you can find his um, uh, links there to his podcasts. I'll tell you, it's on findingpeace.podbean.com. Dot com. It's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com on findingpeace.podbean.com. But also you can find the links to that through the lifestreamyblog.com. So before I get back to my conversation about redefining success with my guest Chris Shea, and that's S-H-E-A, I'd invite you to join me for a moment of focus, a moment of quiet in the Serenity Minute. So I do invite you to relax, to feel and notice that peaceful presence of uh, divine life, your higher power, however you define it, by whatever name you call it, that peacefulness that lives within you all the time. Be aware of that. Notice your breath and allow yourself to relax from the top of your head and feel that relaxation as it moves all the way through your body, temple. Allow your heart to open and your mind to open. And share with me this constructive idea. In this moment, I am fully alive. I am safe. I am at peace. In this moment, I am fully alive. I am safe. I am at peace. And now we take a moment in the quiet. friends for joining me in the Serenity Minute and I trust that that was an opportunity for you to take at least just a moment to be still, to be quiet, to notice that within you there's so much life. So now I'm back to my conversation with my guest Chris Shea and we're talking about redefining success to an inner definition. So, Chris, before the break, you told a really wonderful, powerful story about um, uh, a woman's true success in recovery, about being present and um, being able to, in that moment, live one moment at a time and to stick mm-hmm. with her treatment process. So, talk to us some more about what successful recovery is. Broaden that out. What's it all about? <laughs> that That is the, the big question. and. I will say with that story of that woman in treatment, she really did inspire me because 
honestly, when I first gave her the watch and, and the way that she was going through, uh, you know, really wanting and, and feeling that she needed uh, to go back out and use, I really thought that she was going to walk away in a couple minutes. And to see her sit for as long as she did and fight through what she had to fight through to make it work for her, that she really wanted recovery. That was an inspiration. I don't know how many people in in that situation would have done what she did. I, I know there's others, but at the time, she was the rarity for me in, in my experience. And so for me, when I look at this definition of, of success and, and focusing a definition of success more so on the subjectivity of my values and looking at living in the moment non-judgmentally, I really would focus for her that day, in my mind, she was a success. She was living a successful recovery. And I know there's some, you know, who would have said, well, if she were living a good recovery, then she wouldn't have been going through what she did. She would have wanted to leave treatment. Or if I hadn't been there, she would have walked out. So how was that successful? But see, to me, that's not the focus because the focus is she did stay. She did the right thing. She fought through what she needed to. So, you know, when we look at the definition of successful recovery, what is that really? Now, I'll say for me personally, the ideal of a successful recovery from substance use and addiction is total abstinence. And that's what I was taught. That's what I still believe. But the one thing that I was taught that I don't totally agree with is when people would say that if you left treatment and whatever the time frame is after that and you picked up your drug of choice again, that you were unsuccessful in your recovery. But see, to me, in, in reframing and refocusing what does success mean, Yes, total abstinence is the ultimate goal, but let's say somebody has had that total abstinence for X amount of days, weeks, or months before they go back to using. In my mind, they were successful for however long that time frame happened to be. And if they get themselves back either into the rooms or back into a treatment program, Again, I look at that as success because if we refocus success to the subjectivity, when that person comes back in a treatment, I personally don't want to sit down and jump all over them about why did you use and how could you do this to yourself and give all those things. They're already doing that to themselves. They don't need me to tell them how they just messed up. Mm -hmm. But what I think is important is to sit down and say, so how'd you do it for so long? How'd you last that long without using? Start with the positives. 
look at the successes and then work with the success. Because then we can start to say, well, this went for so long and this is how you're doing it for so long. So what changed? Because when we look at this from the positive perspective, we can empower somebody to say, you can make this happen. And how do I know that? Because you have been making this happen. Now, we're not going to deny that they went back to use at some point, but we can use that as the jumping point to learn. So you were successful by doing the following wonderful things, and they worked, so we're going to keep doing that. What got in the way? And the piece that got in the way, now we need to deal with that and see what can we do different if that scenario pops up again. So what do we learn from this experience so that when you go back out there, can you go longer? And if that situation pops up, do you now have more tools that you can say to yourself, yeah, I've got it this time. I can get over whatever that hurdle is. Now, there may be another hurdle down the road we haven't thought of, but I think when we just look at, at this notion that it's either total abstinence or it's failure, I think we need to play upon successes and use the relapses as learning tools to build more success. And the fact that people continue to strive to want recovery is success in and of itself. Right. Yeah, that's really wonderful. It, it's like it takes it out of this realm, which I think is really part of the disease of addiction, which is perfectionism. And it says it's not about perfectionism. It's about are you keeping on getting up? Do you get up the next time? Did you learn something from it? Right. You know, because all of us, well, at least I'll say me, I mean, you know, we have messed up in life and – it doesn't mean that life is over because you messed up in life. What it means, hopefully, is that you learn from whatever you did and become a better person because of the learning. Not a better person because of what you did, but a better person of what you learned from what you did. Mm-hmm. And for me, it just goes back to you know the notion that addiction, at least substance addiction, is a medical illness. And you know, what, what drives me nuts is, you know, when people say, well, a person relapsed because it was their choice. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have a heart attack and you go to the hospital and the, the doctors tell you when they release you from the hospital, you have to exercise and change your diet and do all these things. If you don't do those things and you have another heart attack, very few doctors of the ER are going to give you a lecture about how you made bad choices and maybe we shouldn't treat you right now because you didn't do what we said and therefore you had this other heart attack. You know, that doesn't happen. So why are we doing it to people who are suffering from a disease that is affecting them physically and chemically? So we need to treat it in the same way. You know, if that person didn't do the exercise and diet, then how do we modify what they need to do to give them success and hopefully avoid another heart attack? I think it would be the same thing in in looking at the addiction. You know, and, and if we send people out with this notion, if you pick back up, you have failed, well, we're setting them up for failure because who who can be perfect you know, for the rest of their lives. This is really what we're telling them. 
don't mess mm-hmm. up for the rest of your life mm-hmm. or you're a failure. Mm-hmm. And then I think it makes it harder for people to uh, come back in to get additional help or get the next round of help um, because they're ashamed or they're scared or they don't want to hear the, you know, they don't want to get the lecture. So it really does set them up for failure, sets people up. Right, where, you know, if they have the understanding that if I use and I go back to the rooms or go back to treatment and, you know, somebody there is going to help me to understand where I went wrong and what I could do different next time, yeah, I I think we are going to bring more people back in uh, because they want to learn, you know, what what can I do different next time because I really want this. You know, like, like the story that, you know, I told before the break, you know, she obviously really wanted this or else she wouldn't have sat there for over two hours. So, mm-hmm. you know, how do we encourage success by eliminating this point of perfection? But I think at the other end, I'm, I'm not saying that we're going for the lowest common denominator. You know, and that's why I'm still saying I think the ultimate goal is total abstinence. The point for me is how long is it going to take somebody to get to that goal? They can get there. I mean, there, there's people in very long-term total abstinence recovery. You can get there, but it might take a few starts and stops to learn all that you need to learn to get there. So don't expect perfection day one, but give them the tools they need and then the support if it falls apart. Right. Go ahead. I mean, part of what I do in in my training, besides mindfulness, is cognitive behavioral work. And one of the, what's called uh, either cognitive dissonance or irrational thought processes is an all or nothing thinking. And Mm -hmm. if I had a client come to me dealing with anything, you know, let's forget addiction, just dealing with anything, and and they have an all or nothing thinking, I'm going to try to rework that because they're setting themselves up for a um, unrealistic expectation. But then as addiction counselors, we tend to create an all or nothing thinking by telling somebody you have to do this perfectly or you're a failure. That right there is the the total all or nothing thinking. Mm -hmm. So how can we as counselors encourage an irrational thought process? Good point. (laughs) Not not helpful, is it? (laughs) I, I wouldn't think so. I, um, no, I, I've had through the years a lot of supervisors who disagree with me on this. But, uh, yeah, and in my mind, yeah, we're, we're not being helpful by giving them an irrational thought process that we're reinforcing. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I, I see this too, uh, this phenomenon and it, with uh, family members or friends, you know, that uh, people that are seeking as family members or friends, uh, their own recovery and, and wanting to be supportive to the person that has the substance or behavioral addiction and so forth. And definitely as a family member, perfectionism does not work. What's your experience with that? Yeah, and, and that, that there's so many dynamics going on, uh, you know, in, in the family who's dealing with somebody uh, with the addiction, but how you present it becomes the the kind of touchy point. But the bottom line for me is that that is what I want families to understand is 
we don't want to lower the bar and we don't want to say that relapse is acceptable, but we also can't, can't expect 100% perfection from somebody just because they've gone through treatment and, and are trying very hard at this. So how we help families to understand that becomes the key because we don't want it to come off in, in the wrong way. So whatever the families can do to support that, but know that if their loved one returns to that active addiction, what are their tools, one, for their support? How, how do they handle, uh, you know, that feelings of here we go again? But also, how do we help them to encourage their loved one to get back into a recovery program? So it also, I think, empowers the family so that we can say, if this happens, we can welcome them again and we can help teach them, and there is hope for long-term recovery, and here's something you can do to help them get the help they need in the event it doesn't work this first time or second time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Yep, for sure. And I think for family members also to, for family members to keep on remembering in, in their own recovery that it's not about whether that their loved one does or doesn't stay in recovery. It's for the family member. Am I staying in my recovery? Am I practicing my recovery tools? Right. Um, Right, to maintain what they have learned. And I think also to help the family to understand that it's not against them or it's not being done to them or or it's not to throw away any, um, you know, help and support. And and I've seen that in some of the families when I dealt with relapse uh you know, clients, uh, the family can also take that personally. You know, we, we've done so much to support them, and this is what they, you know, do to us in return. Mm-hmm. You know, to help them to understand that it, in a perfect world, they would not be choosing to relapse. It's not being done for them or against you, but this is part of a disease process, and let's treat it as such, and let's, you know, move forward in learning and even what can the family learn from this experience uh, of the relapse and working through, you know, restarting, in a certain sense, uh, an abstinence-based recovery. So I, I think those pieces are important, too, you know, that whatever we're dealing with this family, and, and when I say family, I mean who, whoever's the significant loved ones that support that client. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be traditional or biological, but, you know, who are the main support for the person? Right, right. What do you see, Chris, that happens for people in recovery when they do start to more internalize these ideas about success as living from my own values and and living the recovery principles? Um, which, what do you see happening for them in their lives when they do that? I, I've seen people living a recovery in a more peace-filled way. I think when we take away the 
unrealistic expectation of perfection. And we really encourage them to live that one day at a time. And however we want to phrase that, whether we want to put that in the form of mindfulness or we want to talk about the big book or however we want to do that, but how do you help them to stay in the moment, remind themselves that in this moment I am still sober, I am still in recovery, And I think when we help them to understand what the process is and that it is not a perfect process, there is a weight lifted off. That it's not, well, good, I'm going to do whatever I want. They're going to accept me back. No. It's it's that notion that if you are trying your best, you will find peace. In my mind, it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of the show. You know, can you say that you are putting a hundred plus percent effort into being the best you that you can be? And if you can honestly say that at this moment, then you're successful because you're being the best you that you are supposed to be right now. That mm-hmm. success, right? Right. Yeah, that's good. And it really opens up space, I think, for people to, as you say, to find their, their own self and their own footing. And, and they're not feeling that outer pressure to, you know, be something, but they can really find themselves. And how's that, how is that spiritual? Tell us about that. How's that connected to spirituality? The way that I view the spiritual life is, that we come to an understanding of something greater than myself. For me, that's the Christian God. But that there is something greater than me, and the more at peace that I feel, then the closer I can become to something other. Because the more at peace that I feel, the more I'm apt to help other people, the more I'm apt to do the right thing. and. I have yet to find any religion or any spirituality that doesn't want the person to grow in self-peace and to grow in helping others. So I think if we're doing that, we're coming outside of ourselves. But we first have to look at how do I take care of myself? How do I work towards this sense of this peace so that I have some of that to give to somebody else, and I can help them to learn what they can do to get some of that. And in my mind, that's now becoming spiritual. That's that's a spirit. That's something greater than myself that I can give to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Right. I love that. Yeah, it's like finding that avenue to be of service, and it's like it makes a connection with other people. Right. To me, it, it is all about relationship and connection. We're, we're not an island unto ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our time is up. Um, Chris, thank you so much for what you do. Thanks for the work that you do. Thanks for how thoughtful you are and how much you really do reflect on life and its meaning and, and being present. And thanks for uh, your blogs. They are. They're always, I always enjoy reading them because they're always um, unique and they always have a perspective that, that gets me to thinking. So, um, and so thanks for sharing from yourself and from your, your own sense of values. I appreciate it. 
Well, I appreciate that, and, and thank you for your ministry and for having me again. It's always a pleasure, and I enjoy listening to uh, your show. I try to weekly, and uh, I use it on Stitcher, so uh encourage people to do the same, but really appreciate your ministry as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. And all of you who are our Spirit of Recovery listeners, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being part of what's happening here on Spirit of Recovery. And uh, lots of prayers, lots of love and blessings to you. Have a wonderful week. And we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. God bless. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.